Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, this is the Relunchables Podcast. I'm Jordan Holzer, proudly part of the Believe Podcast Network. In each episode, we'll be covering 90s, 2000s, film, TV, and pop culture. I am not alone. Each episode, I'll be having on special guests to help me relive my childhood. Thank you to Bowling for Soup for the intro music. Man, I could listen to 1985 all day. If you notice, the intro music has changed because we're taking a break from Weedis for this one episode because we're having on the lead singer of Bowling for Soup, Jarrett Reddick. Hope all my listeners are having a great and more importantly, safe Labor Day weekend. I'm not wasting any time. Let's get right into my interview with the lead singer of Bowling for Soup, Jarrett Reddick. So are you in Texas? I am. I am in uh, Prosper, Texas, which is uh, just north of Dallas. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I'm just uh, so we grew, we grew up in Wichita Falls, Texas, which is just north of here. And then uh, we moved down to Denton in the mid '90s uh, when we started the band. And then uh, yeah. Chris is still there. And then Eric, uh, Gary and I have just kind of moved gradually east, like literally just straight along uh, the highway uh, that just runs north of Dallas. So yeah. So it's nice that you've you know stayed close to your roots there in Texas. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's funny. I you know I sing about Texas all the time, and I wear it on my arm, and I. Uh, Funny story, I actually bought a new, a new house uh, back in 2014, and uh, me and my wife moved here. And, uh, excuse me, sorry, I get four of those in interview, by the way. It's in my contract. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, but I, uh, so we bought this house, and I, I did not realize I had left it in county until I renewed my license. And, like, I don't know how it got past me that I had moved to Collin County, Texas. <laughs> and I was just, I called my wife and she was at work at the time. And I'm just like, we've got to move. Like I can't, I, I mean, I said I would never leave Denton County and here I am. And so luckily uh, Gary is still there. So, um, and, and Chris, obviously Chris will never leave. He will, uh, <laughs> he will die in Denton and they will erect a statue and uh, <laughs> he will just be forever worshiped. So how has all this been for you in Texas right now with the whole quarantine situation? It's obviously affected bands and live performance in general. It's really hurt the industry. I'm so curious how, you know, and you've seemed to make a seamless transition to, you know, virtual performances and obviously you're, you know, big into the podcasting game. How has it been like for you? Well, at first it was, you know, it was uh, a bit terrifying because, you know, I mean, it wasn't that, you know, again, this is what I say, like I've got, pretty crazy anxiety and I suffer from depression and um and I and it's new to me new in, in that it's been in the last 10 years that this has been something that I've dealt with and so you know when something like this comes along my I don't I'm, I'm unaware of like how I'm going to react to it well so I it's not that I'm I was scared of the sickness or or worried about my kids or like anything like that because we did what we were supposed to do I just realized that not having something on my calendar was terrifying that like I've lived the last 26 years of my life like okay you've got two weeks and here's what you're gonna do you know you've got all this stuff to fit in and these people to see and this stuff and then you're gone and you know what you do on the road and then you come back 
And what I saw was just like, okay, well, those shows got canceled, those got canceled, those got canceled. And uh, so the first couple of weeks were pretty rough, um, you know. And, and, you know, I'm really lucky that my wife is uh, – and my friends, really. I mean, you know, just not even just my band, but like my – you know, I, I, I have friends that live near me and stuff. And everybody was just like super cool about it because it was just like, man, this has – it's a drastic change for everybody. But, man, it's, it's got to be weird for you, you know, like because literally in February – we were playing the biggest shows we've ever played in the UK, you know, and then, then the next thing you know, it's just like, hey, you might not do any gigs for like a year, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, as you said, I was really lucky in that, you know, I've been doing stage at shows, uh, streaming on stage at since 2009. Um, I've got two podcasts, so I'm already set up to do things like this, like where, as you know, it's a bit of a learning curve for a lot of people. For me, I jumped straight in. I, I, you know, embraced Zoom and embraced StreamYard, all of these other areas where it was just, it was very, very simple for me to learn all of this and, and actually yeah. really elevate it to an extent. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just starting more and more stuff. Now I've got a Thursday happy hour that happens each week and um, there's a charity element to that. I've raised a shitload of money. Oh, can I cuss? Oh yeah, oh, do yeah. whatever you want. I've raised a shitload of money for, uh, for a bunch of different charities and, uh, you know, helped out as many of my friends who are doing stuff. And so what I've found is, um, you know, that if you keep me at home, I just stay just as busy as I do on the road. And, and I don't think anybody really doubted that, that I would do that. But um, so, yeah, you know, it's for me, uh, it's been it's been fairly simple after that initial thing. You know, now it's just like you know, I'm just kind of, I really miss this or I miss that. It's yeah. been easy for Rob because he's newly married and they're fixing up their house. And Gary is a realtor by day and his wife is a nurse. And so his days are crazy anyway. Um, so the, the one that's really, I won't, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's had a hard time, but like the one who's really been like, just like by himself and, you know, He's single and he's got a dog and he can't, you know, his, all of his friends are at the, at, you know, where he goes to hang out because that's the life that he yeah. lives. And that's Chris, you know, so we do these uh, band meetings online. We actually are going to do one later today. And, um, you know, it's basically, it's basically just like being on the Bowling for Soup tour bus, only we're all in different rooms. <laughs> yeah. And I think like professional athletes, as a musician, you kind of get into a routine Yeah, and that routine, when that gets disrupted, you're kind of like, who am I? It kind of defines you in a sense of, you know, this is what I'm supposed to be doing on this date and this date and having yeah. the tour already planned out a year in advance. Yes. Yeah. It, and it's got to be jarring. That's just it too, is that like, you know, we're very blessed to be on a certain level where it's going to, it's going to end up being it's it's going to be a, a bit of work for us to come back because you're right. We do schedule a year out. So now I'm like working on tentative shows for May right now. And it's like, okay, you know, but I mean, like, and then even that, like, it's going to be like, Jesus Christ, I will have had two birthdays since I sang a song, you know, like in front of, not that's not, you know, I'm certain that I will sing songs, but this Bowling for Soup, you know, came out and but you know, we're working on some uh, full band live stream stuff. And uh, that's two. That's, yeah, that's two. number two. Yeah, I'm holding I, you to this. I get four. <laughs> um, we, we, uh, what happens is, is I go about my life and then I get in here and I start talking and my, my body's going, holy shit, oxygen, breathe fatty, you know? Um, 
but uh but yeah man it's you know it it's definitely been shocking and uh yeah i think we'll uh but yes you're right back to what you said professional athletes it's like okay well you know go be in shape by yourself you know which you know yeah. that's not the easiest thing to do when you've had trainers for 12 years you know and it's you know um the motivation for me to do certain things that i could have done was not and and still you know to this day like i just don't really like recording by myself when i have to like if i'm just demoing and stuff like that i'm just I'm crazy, but like, if it's like, hey, we've got all these songs done, you need to sit in your studio and sing all of these and the back vocals and all that shit by yourself. I'm just like, that just doesn't sound fun to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious if there, if you find a bright side to this at all, because we've talked to some artists on the podcast who talk about how, you know, Patreon and Stage It, it allows something that you don't really have in a live performance. That's really direct interaction and mm. feedback from mm. the audience where they could kind of tell you, you know, what songs they may want to hear and you're getting kind of feedback in real time. How have you found that experience to be just through Patreon, through Stage It, interacting with your fans? Well, as I said before, it's something that I already did. But what, yeah, what I have found though is that uh, there's a whole new slew of people who are embracing it. And you're going to see this. This is what's going to happen. I mean, so now what you have is this whole new. Um, sort of frontier, so to speak, to where it's like live streaming has been around forever. And especially in the format of say a stage it, a Patreon yeah. kind of things, things like that, uh, streaming on YouTube and Facebook and things like that. I've always, they've been, they've been gradually sort of being around. Now you're going to start seeing these insane concerts streamed, you know, from sound stages and things like that with the, the same production you would see at a show. And it's like, okay, well, just because we're back on the road, why can't we do this? I mean, we have fans here, 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 and here, and here that can't come to, you know, we don't ever get to go there because, you know, you it's for whatever reason. And yeah. so now, like, the mindset is just different for me in that I'm like, you know, one of the things we never do is we never, you know, play a new album. You know, we, we go and we write this record and then we go record it. And then we may get to play one or two songs from that album live over the course of a couple of years or whatever, because quite frankly, there's 13 songs that if we don't play, people are going to be pissed, <laughs> you know? So yeah. it's like, and that's a good problem to have, right? When you have legitimate hits, people expect to hear that, you know, and you, you yeah. have 10% of the, of the audience that wouldn't get pissed if you didn't play Ohio, but the 90% is very vocal. Um, so what what I'm seeing is is an opportunity to say, okay, well we're going to record this record this new album. Why wouldn't we before, right after we're done recording it and it's all fresh and when this thing comes out, why don't we play a show and it's on the internet and we spend the money and it's it's good production and people get value for that like a real fucking concert, like a DVD experience but live and you see it yeah. or you don't kind of thing and so i'm starting to think of more things like that you know like christmas shows cd release shows things like that so just shit that you could be themed where it's like look i don't think that we would have taking taking a new album out on the road and, and bowling for soup going hey we're gonna play all of our new stuff would be like <laughs> playing to crickets because nobody wants to hear that and quite frankly i don't want to do that you know like i like playing songs people know and yeah. uh, as a fan, you know, if I go see, you know, Bad Religion and The Descendants, like I want to hear all the shit, 
that I want to sing along to, you know, and that's, you know, that, that that's where my band is 26 years later and, and it's not a bad thing. So, um, you know, I, I think that, that, that the, that the consumer in the end, though concerts may change and may never come back to be the way that they were, maybe they will. Um, you know, as with things, the way that life works is, you know, there's, there's something to be gained here and, and a positive way to look at things. Yeah, I think it allows for, you know, improvement in a sense. And, you know, really, the people think outside the box and what yeah. could we come up with? And you mentioned a lot of those things and, you know, not recording it. So it really is a once in a lifetime experience that if you miss it, that's yeah. it. Yeah, that's it. You know, and, that, and that, that's always been the great thing about Stage It. I will say that um, I'm doing a couple of things on Veeps now. And one of the things that they do is they allow you to keep it up for like a certain amount of time. So if you can't make my show on Thursday, it's up for 72 hours. You can still buy that same ticket. And if you missed it, or you're not able to be there, you just, at your convenience, you watch it during that amount of time. I think that's a great idea. I think, you know, Stage It is playing a lot of catch up right now because they did not expect this insane boom that is. Oh, yeah. I think what the, the statistics I heard, statistic I heard that they did more in the month of March than they had for the previous 18 months, you know, and, <laughs> oh, and then God. just ever growing, right? And uh, yeah. so, you know, they're all going to start to be, but yeah, that's the idea, right? That's, and, you know, I tell my fans that too, or, you know, just people that come watch me. I'm like, look, I know you want to pirate this and I know it's possible, but like you, you stripping this from the, you know, while I'm doing it is the same as you just holding the phone in front of the dude behind you, the entire show, you know, like just fucking watch it and experience it and, and yeah. enjoy. And I'm not going to get mad if somebody, doesn't do that but at the same time you know you just uh it's 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 just kind of nice to experience something every once in a while you know like i i just think that's cool you know oh yeah and you know you've seen this industry change so much during yeah. your time and yeah. from 94 i believe releasing your first album on cassette yeah until today where it's all you know streaming spotify apple music yeah how have you seen that and how have, how has that adjustment been for you and kind of where do you see this going forward we our band I, just the timing of of everything that we did is such a funny it's such a funny run like pop punk in general really has had just the funniest little existence because we didn't have the MTV boom on our side. We didn't have the crossovers to alternative music and the, this, <laughs> this, this, like it just all of the, we missed we, everything. We just, it would just change and we would just go, Oh fuck. What happened? You know, what happened? So you're right. I mean, cassettes and then, uh, and then CDs and then, you know, then, you know, uh, and then having to do import albums for other countries. So they would actually buy the one that you're releasing there. And then you, uh, you know, then you got into, okay, Walmart wants one, but you have to do an extra song for Walmart and an extra song for Target and one for Amazon and like this. And then, so it, it just, and then it was just like, you, you know, you, we've worked our way into this thing of like, okay, now people want vinyl again, guys. And it's like, fucking what like are you serious and and my so i manage this band called not your girlfriends and the singer live loves cassettes and i'm just like ah i'm just ah you know but um yeah you know i mean it's it's funny we you know we we survived through getting pop our, our most popular days were at the height of napster and limewire and things like that 
So, yeah. you know, we missed out on a, on a bunch of things financially that like the nineties bands, when we play with them at fairs and shit, they'll just go, Oh man, you guys got fucked, you know, because it's like <laughs> tonic, the guys in tonic have one crazy hit song and they'll never work again as long as they live, you know, because it's like they had that, you know, and we're just like, well, we're still out here, you know, like, uh, still giving it a shot, you know, like uh, making the same mortgage payment we were back then, you know, it's, um, and, uh, so, yeah, I mean, just the changes are crazy. And in fact, you know, it's funny. I, I wanted to stop making CDs 10 years ago. I was just like, fuck this, man. Like, it's, it's expensive and it's, you know, um, it's cool for people to have something to carry out of the show. But really now I tell young bands, I'm just like, if you're going to make CDs, just think of it as a business card that costs, you know, yeah. 70 cents or whatever. Give that away. Put it in hands or whatever. And you don't, it doesn't even have to be released shit. It's the new demo tape. Because quite frankly, you give me a CD and I'm not trying to be a dick. I will go look up your shit on Spotify. But there's, I have nothing to do with that compact disc, but throw it away. I don't own a CD player. I don't. I, there's, yeah. I don't have a disc drive in, in my Mac. <laughs> I don't. I like. My wife reminded me that my car has a CD player and I fucking had no idea. <laughs> like I, that's the last, you know, that's how long it's been since I put a CD in. But, you know, it's... Um, it, it just these days, you know, it's just so easy to get your stuff there and in front of people. And I feel like um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a weird, weird, weird world, you know, like, yeah, I can remember like on, <laughs> like on tour and shit, like we have so many albums and like, I remember like we'd be out of stock of one of our albums on the road and I'd be like, Oh my God, like we're, <laughs> we're going to miss three CD sales, you know? And now it's just like, you know, I, we have seen, we literally, um, this is a true story. We, um, after uh, Warp Tour, see, let me think about this for a second. I think it was 2014, pretty sure it was 2014. We still had a pallet of Fishing for Woos CDs that like we never sold and never, you know, they knew yeah. because again, that, that was, that record came out in 2009, no, 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 2011, maybe 2010. Anyway, sort of like the beginning of like, you're still making 15,000 of them and you should have probably made like four, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, we had a fucking pallet of those things. And my manager just goes, look, you've got to get these out of the uh, warehouse so we could destroy them or you can just take them with you and give them away. And so we did, we, we literally just like, if you saw us on tour and asked us to sign some shit on that warp tour, we just gave you a, a, a CD and signed it, whatever. But um, funny, you know, it's funny how it's, it's just an ever changing, ever evolving world, isn't it? Oh yeah. And you've kind of seen it all. And now it's, it's crazy. If I told you in 94 that you could have literally the world's music yeah. in the palm of your hand to listen to it anytime, yeah. basically for free, almost $10 a month or whatever your Spotify subscription or Apple music subscription is. Yeah. You, you probably would have told me I was crazy, but that's We're, where we are. It's such a crazy thing and movies and things like that. And just like how my child, my children don't really understand that whole, like, that you did you didn't used to just decide you wanted to watch a movie and just watch it you know and then i yeah. um man i you just said that and it reminded me of i remember in 2003 we were on tour with uh, simple plan and i saw an ipod for the first time and i was like wait so what you what do you do and they're like you go and you put the cd into your computer 
And then that music from this goes into this thing. And I'm just like, what? And it was like, I remember like sitting there for days and days and days, like trying to digitize every single CD I did. And I, I came pretty close, you know, to it. And it's still there, but I don't, and I don't erase it out of my library, but like only because I sat there and did that, there's really no reason for me to have any of that anymore. <laughs> just, but yeah, man, it's, it's nuts. It's, you know, my seven-year-old will never know. I mean, he actually, my seven-year-old was in here one day and uh, uh, in, in my studio, we were talking about something and I said something about a DVD and he goes, what's a DVD? <laughs> and he fucking meant it. Like it had been that <laughs> yeah. long since we were like, okay, we're going to take this disc and put it in the player, you know, cause <laughs> it's, it's just, it's crazy, crazy world. But you're right. I mean, the other thing for us is that, social media didn't exist. And, you know, even like, I remember just making a website, you know, like it just, it's just crazy, you know, just, but, and, and that's just it, right. You, if you want to remain, um, you know, if you want to remain relevant, you have to keep up with the times. And, uh, you know, sometimes a new social media thing takes off and you're like, Damn it. I don't want to learn another one, you know, but you know, Are you on TikTok yet? <laughs> dude, I just, I got on TikTok less than a month ago. I'm already to 55,000 followers and like my, all my videos do good. I'm already, I'm, I'm almost, I've been on Instagram since it started and I'm already at twice as many TikTok followers as I was on Instagram. I mean, just, you know, and that, that's just, I did a TikTok video the other day where I just go, and I'm like all like, oh, God, I'm like, now he's going to take away TikTok and I just got on here and I'm not going to know what's new until you guys tell me. So will you guys please teach me, you know, and uh, so, but yeah, man, it's, um, it's one of those things. I skipped Snapchat and I, I think, uh, I think I did okay. Probably for the best. Yeah, yeah. I think I did all right there. <laughs> no, it's kind of remarkable how you've been able to adapt. I know for myself, I was growing up in San Diego at the time, and I discovered Bowling for Soup's music when I was about 12 years old, and it was the peak of LimeWire, Napster, and I was one of those punk kids just downloading illegally and oh, sure. you know burning CDs and just putting together my favorite playlists. And it's I know you know they've done studies of what you know artists have missed out on, but it's insane the level of illegal streaming and you know people not knowing the implications of piracy at the time man the statistic i heard um like just um let's see let me think about this for a second hangover you don't deserve in the u.s at the time i think had done like seven hundred and fifty thousand copies or something and they were like if you would have this would have come out you know in the late 90s you just sold four million records and it was just like I mean, so like to, to just so like the listener, like you don't even really start making money until you sell a million. But like, once yeah. you cross that thing, it's like, you're in a partnership with the label at that point. And it's, it's, it's not bad. I mean that, you know, of course, and you know, here's the thing, artists were getting fucked just as much as kids were, you know, like they were, yes, they were charging people seventeen ninety nine for CDs or whatever, but we were, our wholesale price on those things was $11 and they were making them for 90 cents. Such a fucking yeah. racket, you know, just a horrible, horrible business model that, you know, continues to haunt a lot of us, you know, that, um, you know, I mean, but you know, here's the thing though. I mean, it is what it is. It's not that I said, you know, as, as much as we've talked about this, 
I don't sit here and just think about it and stew in it or anything like that because, you know, we're still really lucky. I mean, we go out and like whatever size venue we play, it's full. And, you know, like, I mean, and it's, you know, we, (laughs) it's like people buy our shirts and shit and like, download the new stuff and we put it out and like we put out a cover song and it does a hundred thousand on Spotify in a week, you know, like, and that's, that's just what happens. And it's like, man, you know, it ain't so bad, you know? So, so we have to still work our asses off, you know? And like, you know, you, you can't just sit around and go show people your house and shit just because everybody thinks we're rich, you know, but you, you can go, uh, I would not be playing this many fucking shows a year <laughs> If I was rich, I promise you, <laughs> you know, I, I would, uh, I, I would, I'd still be playing, but it would be, you know, I'd be playing like Weezer schedule, you know, like <laughs> 30 shows a year or some shit. Yeah, that's what people don't get. They don't, you know, they see the songs and they think that everyone's just raking in the money. They yeah. don't see the, you know, the lawyer fees, the manager fees, the labels, the yeah. agents, everything that goes into it. And what it's left at the end of the day after taxes isn't that much. Well, think about it. You just said it great. Like, think about a show, for example. People are like, man, you guys got to be raking it in. You got 2,000 people here. And you're exactly right. Think about, you know, the promoter takes uh, takes a huge – you get a guarantee or whatever. Then, then you don't make any extra money until usually between 80 and 90% of the tickets are sold. Then the promoter takes a huge cut of your merch – then after all of that, you've got the cost of goods sold. So you had to get that, buy that merch, get it there, pay somebody to sell it, right? Got to pay taxes on all of that and sales tax, depending on where you are. Then your agent gets a chunk, your manager gets a chunk, your lawyer gets a chunk, you know, you're, and then, you know, you're paying for your transportation, you know, which buses are expensive and you start to whittle this down. And then there's fucking four of you, you know, like, <laughs> you know, so, and not to mention, you know, crew guys, you know, that our sound guy, honestly, uh, on most nights, if you, if you kind of broke it all down, the sound guy probably makes more each night than we do off of actually playing the show. But, oh my God. you know, it is what it is, you know, I mean, that's, that's, yeah. it's just the, the disbursement of funds, right? You know, it's like, um, you know, <laughs> but again, I, you know, it's, that's economics, right? That's the way that it works. Yeah. You know, could we make more money if we toned down the show and got back in a van and blah, blah, blah? Yeah, I mean, I guess we could, but uh, I don't think our show would be, would be as good because we'd be fucking miserable, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's all part of it. It's all part of the experience. 100%. Yeah, man. And just, you know, it's it's a matter of just keeping morale high and then all of those things. And, you know, but but at the end of the day, man, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good life, man. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't take it for granted. 99.999% of the people who were born want to be a rock star, a fireman or a police officer, you know? And it's like, I fucking did it, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Beats a nine to five any day of the week. Yeah. I'm so curious, you know, growing up the youngest of six children, were were your parents just kind of done with you by the time you know, they <laughs> had you? What, did you get away with everything? I have to imagine the youngest of six. Man, I did. I mean, I pretty much did. I mean, you know, where my, and my parents were busy, too. They both worked and... Um, now here's the thing. I was a good kid too. Like I was never late. Like I, you know, my, my curfew was midnight until I went to college and I, I never oh, broke wow. it. And, um, you know, it was now, but again, I, I also had a rehearsal space and I could go, Hey, I'm going to spend the night up there and then I could get into God knows what, but 
you know, my TV was never censored. My music was never censored. I had cable in my room from the third grade on with all the movie channels. Like I, you know, I had my own phone line because they were sick of the phone ringing again from five kids before. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, my brother, um, you know, my, there's the four girls and then my brother and then me. And so he, he says, you know, man, you just, everybody had, had fucking paved the way for you. Like, and then, then I got there and I was no trouble. I was just loud, you know, like I'm, I, um, you know, I, I played the drums and they knew where I was all the time. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, man, I, I will say I, I, I didn't really, I, I, I definitely wasn't the most supervised person and not in a bad way. I mean, my parents knew where I was and I had to tell them what was going on. And sure. I lied about it like other kids and stuff like that and really never got busted, but I was always kind of scared to do things like, and I never did drugs or anything like that. And so, and those, those, again, those things kind of scared the shit out of me, you know? And I, so I, um, I was pretty good about staying, staying out of trouble. And, and, uh, and man, I, I found, I found music and theater at 13 and I didn't want to do anything else. Like I, I, if everybody, uh, you know, parties and shit like that, I never went to parties or anything because we, we would just be practicing and, and that would make a party. And, um, and I didn't drink back then either, but everybody else did. And so, you know, my brother would, and his friends would come up, he's five years older than me and they would just watch us practice and, and, and drink and shit everybody you know had so i had high school fun i just really wasn't you know that kind of that kind of kid um yeah I, I i've always been really 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 focused i think that's probably something that that most people i think even who even know me now would be like oh yeah he's fucking crazy and you know he's fun you know pretty much all the time but you can tell that i um pretty much always have something going on in my mind and i'm 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 always working on the next thing you know like sure like busy people tell me that i'm busy is what i'm trying to say you know (laughs) that's a good prompt to have yeah uh you know high school seems such a big theme of your music and i'm curious you've touched on a little bit but what kind of student were you what kind of you know just going through high school it seems like it was such a formative time in your life and really shaped you know the entire band's experience in music well so the big thing is is i'm not sure I I really honestly think that it's when I went to high school. Like, I don't think that high school would be such a huge part of me and who I, and what I sing about and all of that had it not been the eighties, because man, it was, you know, the age of like the, you know, the John Hughes movies and, and hair metal and, and hip hop just becoming a thing. And like, um, you know, the colors were big and hairstyles were crazy and there were valley girls and that, you know, that you, you, it just, and movies were just kind of becoming these insane epics, you know, oh, yeah. and, and fast times. Fast, and breakfast exactly. And oh fire. my God. Like the teen comedy was peaking. I mean, like, yeah, well, really business. Yeah. and shit. And like, you know, like I said, I mean, you just named them and like, um, you know, anything John Hughes was doing at the time and, and just all of those things of like growing up. And, and so even television started to kind of mimic that a little bit. So we kind of got, there were still sitcoms and things like that, but they started to kind of go into other areas. And, um, you know, it, it, uh, so I think a lot of my high school experience, um, was based upon, just because that's the time I grew up. Also, like it was a it was a very segregated thing. Like 
uh, well, actually segregated in, in all senses of the words, but like, yes, in, I mean, like we were still like um, the, like even like the people, kids were bused to different areas so that they would be able to mix, mix everybody up and things like that. So just to, you didn't go to school, like where you lived, you know, it's just kind of weird. But yeah. also, you know, cowboys hung with cowboys, you know, nerds hung with nerds and freaks or rockers hung with us and preps, you know, rich kids and all that. And so there were all these little clicks. So when I start singing about high school never ends or whatever, like high school back then, and I think still is, but just very, very, very watered down now. Um, there, it's society, you know, it really, yeah. it just was, but it was very, very, very much um it, it mimicked society so much when I was, you really did have like these, the rich kids were the popular, were, you know, the really popular kids. And you had like those, those dudes like us who, you know, I, I flew under the radar. I, you know, I was, um, you know, I wrote the high school quarterbacks uh, English papers for him. And so I, I didn't worry about anything. And, and, and it was, I was good. Big school too, man. Huge school. And um you know, but I was funny, so the cowboys liked me, and the teachers liked me, and I made I made straight A's for the most part. And uh, but you know, I was in I was in marching band, which was kind of a nerd thing to do. But I had really long hair, and so I was kind of king of the dipshits. And <laughs> and then I, uh, but yeah, I was in theater, and theater was just my my shit. You know, like my I, my instructor is the one that I sing about a bunch, um, and uh, he you know really shapes my life and and in that like just sort of you know showing me that you know it was all right to 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 be um i don't know man just just really just to be myself and like to yeah. to to just be you know just because um yeah i just kind of felt shackled a lot like i felt like i was bigger than than where i was if that makes sense and uh, i just always felt like man you know like i i really you know, I think I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. He'd be like, you can, you know? And, uh, so yeah, you know, high school was cool. It was, uh, and, but again, I, it's, it's, uh, it, it kind of just does come up a lot, right? Because it was such a huge thing. It's weird. Cause it's changing. Like my daughter is, um, will, will be a senior and like she stopped going to football games like her sophomore year. And that's like a huge thing in Texas. She's graduating oh, yeah. early cause she's just kind of over it. And, that's super common now, man. It's like, it's just definitely not, you know, the, the social thing that it used to be, you know? I mean, I know that yeah. all the shit still happens because I still get the letters from kids are getting picked on and shit like that. And I, you know, I'm sympathetic to that. Not that it really happened to me as much, but, you know, I definitely witnessed it a bunch and, um, you know, definitely felt like an outsider a lot. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think nowadays it's a lot more blended, whereas back then, you're right, it, there were certain boundaries. When you go to the lunch table, there's the jocks, there's the yeah, geeks, absolutely. you know, and the movies and the music just kind of perpetuated that. And now mm -hmm. you see, you know, the valedictorian is the football captain. Yeah. And it's all it's all a mix. It's so weird, though. It's so crazy. Like, there was this, there's this po really, really popular dude who was a year older than me, and now we're Facebook friends, and, like, we listen to the same music. I was just like, how, why are, you know, and it's, and it's weird for him to say, it's almost like that scene in breakfast club where she goes, all right. So if I walk up to you and you're with your stoner friends or whatever, <laughs> Brian, or if Brian walks up to you, you know, like, are you going to say, say hi to him? And you know, no, cause I'm not a fucking bitch or whatever. <laughs> and you know, it, it's definitely, 
you know, that's, that's kind of the way life was, you know? I mean, it's, it's like you, you wait, I lost my train of thought. Oh no, I remember. And so anyway, I mean, his answer, he can't really answer the question truthfully, but the truth is, yeah. is that like, he was sort of on this level, captain of the soccer team and like super popular and blah, blah, blah. And here I am just this sort of wannabe rocker down here, but I'm just like, fuck man. Like we would have had a blast listening to Iron Maiden in your car, you know, like it, but you know, it is what it is, but it's, it's, it's funny. I think, I think music now, you know, rather than, and again, this is the late eighties or whatever, whereas music used to almost separate us. Um, you know, people that listen to country didn't listen to rock and people who listen to rock didn't listen to heavy metal and people who listen to heavy metal didn't listen to pop and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Now it's all just one big melting pot and it's cool that you like yeah. George Strait and Slipknot. So that's not a point of contention anymore to where it's like, you, oh, you have long hair and like Slipknot? Well, our, me and my four friends now are going to have to beat you up at Taco Bell. You know, that's... <laughs> It's just not, that's non-existent these days. It's, it's not a thing. I love how it's progressing. You know, I rock out to, you know, Taylor Swift's new album, but if I was in middle school, I would got beaten up, maybe commented some homophobic comments or something like that. Yeah. But you know what? It's changed. And I think for the better. Hold on, Jarrett. Give me a minute to tell my listeners about Simply Safe Home Security. What's the number one sign of a bad home security system? A home security system that's so complicated, you never use it. That's exactly the type of system Simply Safe has spent a decade fighting against. Simply Safe was designed to be easy to use while protecting your whole home 24/7. Order online, open the box, place the sensors, plug it in, and your home is protected around the clock. It's that simple. My listeners, head to simplysafe.com/team and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com/team. It feels good to fear less. And now, back to the show. Yeah, totally agree. And I and I think that it's it's cool too when like you know, legitimate rock stars come out these days and they're just like, that fucking new Taylor Swift record is awesome. Or, you know, they're like, you know, I like, you know, the 1975 or they, or they're, you know, whatever it is. And that's okay. I mean, it's, it's just, but you know, it's, I guess it sort of goes both ways, right? Now you see supermodels wearing ACDC shirts and you're just like, uh, what's your favorite ACDC song? You know? <laughs> A hundred percent. So I'm curious now. So, you know, you're starting the band. When did you first realize, like, I could do this for a living? Like, this could be my full-time job. Um, well, you know, that financial stuff came later. I mean, uh, we started in 94. Um, in early 96, we played a show. I'll never forget this in Abilene, Texas. And up until this point, it was totally just for fun. We, you know, something to keep us out of trouble. We played this show. It was insane. A lot of people um and people singing the words to our shit and I, I, it just sort of everything clicked and i later that night it was just me and the guys in our dressing room so to speak it really wasn't quite that but and i just said hey i'm being serious like i think i've got this figured out like i think we can do this and I had done enough to get our songs played on the radio and get us some shows and this and this and this up to that point, all on like a regional level at, that, at this point. But that getting on a regional radio station back then would get you some interesting attention from, say, just labels that were sitting, you know, watching technology that was so limited at the time to try to figure out, like, 
wait a minute, there's some band that's getting airplay in three cities down in Texas. Like, we got to figure out what the fuck is going on, you know? Unfortunately, that can't happen anymore because those stations can't put their own shit on. But, um, yeah, I just said, you know, the thing is you have to trust me and you have to commit. And if we're going to do it, we have to all go 100%. So this is the time. And if you guys all say, yeah, then we're going for it. But that means this is your number one priority and uh, everybody committed. And um, so we, we did it, you know, it, we, we, we missed a lot of weddings, funerals, birthday parties. We, we missed a lot of, uh, you know, it, it cost us a few marriages. It cost us a couple of fiancés along the way. Um, you know, and it, it's directly related to that commitment. 100%, you know, and, yeah. and um, but you know, you got to look at where we are and, 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 and whether or not, you know, we, we, you know, came out on, on the, on the good side of things. I think we did, you know, we're all happy individuals and we're all still doing it. And, you know, I, I wouldn't take back any of it. You know, it's, it's, you know, the, the being in this band is the best thing ever. You know, I mean, I, I besides kids and my wife, I, it's, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. No, that's beautiful. And, you know, for me and for pretty much most of the listeners and most of the audience, I think they first discovered you in 2002 with Drunk Enough to Dance. Yeah. But for you, you know, they just see you as an overnight success. Yeah. But yeah. that was your fourth studio album. Like that was years and years in the making until that point. Yeah, nine years in the van. So uh, even after that first came out, yeah, you got to think when I mean, we had done, yeah, the the albums on our, on our own and sold a bunch. Like we were, we had, Look, we were successful in Dallas. Like we were kicking ass. And so when we got signed in 99 from Jive and went in to do Let's Do It for Johnny, um, you know, we were definitely on fire and feeling good about things. But it was a bit of a shock to then, you know, leave the comfort zone of Texas and Oklahoma and Arkansas and all these places where we were just king shit and go out and just try to hustle elsewhere. We did it and we did it successfully, but it was very hard. Um, and quite frankly, that album didn't do all that well. It did great as far as from a fan's perspective, everybody's got it. Yeah. Um, but from a record company's perspective, you know, 30,000 records, really not that great. Fortunately for us, um, the bit song took off in the United Kingdom and just did amazingly and um you know that pretty much got it to where we were able to do drunk enough to dance and um there's a lot of turmoil on the label at the time because it was jive records and they you know they were an independent label and they actually sold while we were making drunk enough to dance so wow. um a very weird time and a, and a lot of unknown um but that being said you know it um we, <laughs> Here's the best thing about all of all of the all of the hardship and all of the hard work and all of that is you just appreciate it. You know, like we never got handed anything. We earned everything. We've never been taken on tour. We've there, uh, we've actually never had like a big band take us on tour to to let us really never. We we got we we opened up for a band called Gob on a mid level tour in Canada one time. We opened up eight shows for Avril Lavigne one time in, but only in Europe. And the only other two bands that have ever taken us on tour in the United States were Catch-22 and 10-Foot Pole. And both of them did it because they thought we'd be bigger than them by the time they, we, we got this so that they, because we were starting to get fucking big. Yeah. And what we had to do was the 10-Foot Pole, and I still feel like a dick about it, but he was cool. We had a hit. 
we fucking pulled off the tour. It was like, you guys are going to go now and go play radio stations for two years and fly in airplanes and, you know, um, hardest two years, man. You think touring in a tour bus is hard, man. Flying commercial every single day and staying in different little shitty hotels and fucking that is a hard two years man <laughs> it really oh, is yeah. it might not sound like it man but you know what it's like getting through the airport man it's just like you know it's it was a that was rough but again you learn to appreciate it so much you know i even said the other day to my wife i was just like man i miss airports <laughs> i just kind of want to just cozy up next to an airport bar with my buds on the corner and just get shit faced go get an airplane and wake up somewhere else you know that's it just that's what I need right now. <laughs> yeah, I imagine on tour, you just don't even know where you are half the time. You just uh, don't know what city you're in. It's just, it's all a blur, right? It must be. To be honest, the craziest thing about this and tour is that y- you don't ever know what day it is. So even d- during this shit, I don't know what day it is. I don't understand <laughs> yeah. why we all still like okay, the weekend's coming up. It's like, who gives a fuck? It's the same. We do the same thing every day anyway. It's exactly the same. And, you know, there, I've got a couple of friends who are still working from home and stuff like that. So I'll be like, okay, maybe you get that pass, but I don't understand why it's different for any of the rest of us. Like, it's, you know, the kids, who gives a shit? You know, it's, it's you know, it's all exactly the same. And, yeah, you're, you're definitely right. I mean, I, I stopped – trying to say you know hello cleveland a long time ago because you know and i i never know what day of the week is people think that's a bit and i ask on stage a lot like what day of the week is it and i'm i'm 100 serious like i never know and i know what city we're in next because it's on my pass that hangs on my belt loop what was it like? I'm so curious. Opening for Avril Lavigne, like there was nobody bigger than her at the time. No, she was the biggest, and uh, uh, well, it was great. We were on tour with her during her 25th, 21st birthday. So, but we really never saw her. And quite frankly, here's what happened: the first day we come in, yeah, woo, come on, and we're just drinking and fucking raising hell and shit. And then that was it. That the the tour manager was just like. <laughs> You guys are allowed in the building at this time now. You'll come in and sound check. You'll then leave, come back, play your show, and you do that. It's just like, okay, you know, whatever. And, um, we sort of abided by it, but really what we did was just kind of quiet down. But no, her 21st birthday, um, I, I can say that I spent uh, 21st birthday. Avril came in, all the uh, both bands in there. She brought like 12 cases of, or 12 bottles of champagne, 12 cases, 12 bottles of champagne, we started to open them up. She had like a glass and then she was out. And that was it. That's really the, the only time we ever saw her. But, uh, you know, quite frankly, we were doing, we were doing um, arenas in Europe. And, uh, yeah, it, it was she – was, she was big, man. It was – Oh, yeah. It was, it was fucking crazy. So kind of moving into some of the music videos you guys did, because I think Bowling for Soup did hands down the best – in terms of production value, in terms of the storyline, the music videos were amazing. And I can clearly remember where I was when I watched, you know, the girl, the bad guys want music video, which, you know, had the smoking hot girl outside the, you know, the <laughs> store looking in, looking in and seeing the TVs and you guys playing. I have to ask, you know, what was it about those music videos for you? I don't know how much input you had in them creatively, but also, you know, starting the music video, starting a lot of them anyway, with other songs, which I think was really unique. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the, what happened was, is it, is it happened by accident. So I'll tell you, 
Yes, we had all the input. Um, it would either be myself or Chris that would come up with the original idea. Um, you can usually tell by the insanity of it. So <laughs> us being prison bitches, obviously that's Chris Bernie. Um, you know, us dressing up in a bunch of different outfits, that's me, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, you could pretty much tell in those situations, uh, you know, who it is. But it was, it was always us. But the what happened was with the whole starting the thing with, with the previous video, um, we had finished Girl of the Bad Guys Want. And all Girl of the Bad Guys Want was was a – it was just performance and then me dressed up as Aaron Lewis and those parts like that. And sometimes – you know, here's the reason why you can't hate on labels all the time. Because – they're there for a reason, and sometimes they really do. I, they have shitty ideas, and yeah, there's definitely been some things that uh, that that Jive brought along the way or didn't do or whatever that I will forever hate. But, you know, then they do this thing where they go, um, you know, there's no girl. The song's girl the bad guys want. Like, why aren't, isn't there a girl? And so it was um, – Basically, we weren't even there. They basically added all that after with Lindy. Oh, really? Um, Liddy? I think that's her name. Liddy? I can't think of her name right off the top. But um, they essentially added this hot chick, and she's – and so, okay, well, she's watching this. The other video gets her attention, and then here's this. And so one going into the other. But then, So then after that, it was just like, oh, man, this, this rules. Like, let's always sort of hint at the previous thing. And all, on and on and on until uh, – I guess the last video we made for them was When We Die. And uh, on When We Die, the uh, my alarm clock rings and it's High School Never Ends. I, I imagine that Grammy nomination for that song, was that the moment that you realized, okay, we arrived or did it come later? Was it when you got the voice of Chuck E. Cheese? Maybe that was <laughs> it. Or, you know, when was that moment for you personally when you felt, maybe it was just seeing it on the radio for the first time? Yeah, well, there's a lot of different ones of those. I tell you what the Grammy nomination does, it does it for everybody else. Um, you get a Grammy nomination, all of a sudden you can put into the minds of your grandmother or your grandpa or, you know, quite frankly, uh, it becomes a, one of those things that's not necessarily tangible, but it's something that people understand. So your mom can go to work and be like, my kid got nominated for a Grammy. Otherwise, it was just like, I, I don't know, he's in, he's in Paris with some girl named Avril and blah, blah. You know, I don't, I don't really know what the fuck he's doing. You know, and all of a sudden it sort of get because here's the thing about a grammy nomination think about what the grammy's what you want and 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 yes they're very hated upon these days or whatever yeah. and it is what it is it and used to mean something it though. used to and to me you know it's 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 the equivalent of a college education right people say you shouldn't go to college but we still got a doctorate you know what i mean we're always going to be grammy nominated so you know you can't that's not going to go away and so we're going to be Grammy-nominated Bowling for Soup. I'm a Grammy-nominated songwriter for the rest of my life, you know. And um, to my kids, you know, my dad was a Grammy-nominated songwriter. And um, so I wear that. And, this, you know, you mentioned Chuck E. Cheese. I mean, for me, as, I can never take away, you know, the accomplishments of Bowling for Soup. And so I've just sort of kind of made it a couple of different times, you know. Like, I, yeah. it's all wacky to me. I mean, like, to put it into perspective of, like – Okay, my band 
did really great and we still do well. And then uh, Phineas and Ferb was fucking awesome. And um, so that got me into that. And then now I'm a voice actor, but not only am I a voice actor, I'm, I'm the voice actor of like one of the most nostalgically loved, you know, mascots in the history of marketing. Yeah. And it's like, and something that I loved as a kid, you know, something that I, you know, begs go, to go do. And um, so, yeah, man, I, uh, I, it's, it's crazy. You know, I say that in, in one of my, my, uh, uh, one of, I have a song called Kevin Weaver, where I talk about, I, I compare my dad, my, my dad and me together. And I'm just like, you know, like how many lifetimes we've each had. Cause he, he also, sort of just kind of reinvented himself sometimes for the better and sometimes not, you know, throughout his life. And, and that's just sort of like the way I feel like my life has gone. It's like, okay, well, here's what we're doing now. And, oh, I direct videos now. Okay. Well, that's all right. Well then if I'm going to do it, I'm going to be, I'm going to be as good as I can. And I, you know, and so, yeah, I, you know, I think, look, the Grammy nomination, I started getting tattoos on my arms. That's all I can say, you know, like it, it was just like, okay, well, I guess this is what I'm going to do now. And, uh, and I had it in my brain. It was just like, well, even if I don't make it, I can be a music producer and move to the UK and I'll be fine. And, uh, you know, luckily it didn't come down to that because I never wanted to leave Texas, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And you know, you've spoken so openly about mental health, anxiety, depression, how was it during that time in the early to mid 2000s? I imagine you're such a humble guy. You know, you never forget where you came from. But did your head get a little big in a sense? You know, just the success of the band or not really? And how are you able to manage that with your, you know, when, with mental health in general? Well, you can't as long as, you know, you, your ego's in check when you're in the room with the other dudes. So, you know, our band never allowed that to happen. We, you, you watch band, when ego gets involved, bands fall apart. And that's what happens. And so, you know, I, I never had to check myself. I knew, okay, well, okay. People talk about my hair all the time and they always want to talk, talk to me because I'm the singer and I say funny shit, you know, like, but that didn't take away ever from the fact that, you know, Gary didn't like to do interviews and is the fucking best drummer ever. Or that honestly, without Chris on stage, our show would suck you know, and that Eric was the best musician in the band, you know, I mean, so I, I, it just never was a thing for me, you know, I mean, definitely, like, I, I, I would, I, it would never be like ego. I mean, I would, I would definitely sort of feel overworked sometimes and be like, God damn it, man, can't somebody else do some of this, you know? Um, but anytime that conversation would come up, somebody would just check me and just be like, you, this is the way you want it. You, you, you want to do this. Like, this is your shit. Like we're, you know, and, and they were right. And, and so because of that, um, we never allowed ourselves to get big heads and, and to, to think we were any better than we were. And, and quite frankly too, you know, like I said, you know, we had to earn our cool, you know, we were, when we, when we went on Warped Tour, the first time we might as well have been a pop band because we were on pop radio. None of the punk bands gave us any credit or whatever. And, you know, and so now we go on that tour and the young bands that you would think would fucking hate us are like, Holy shit, you're the reason I bought a guitar. And, you know, (laughs) uh, we started experiencing that in like 2014 when we were on there with like, 
asking Alexandria and shit like that. We were just like, well, those guys are going to hate us. And they were just the sweetest people because they're just like, we fucking love Bowling for Soup, you know? <laughs> and so, um, you know, you, you go from this, this like just trying and trying, trying to being successful and then just really just trying to earn your way into the ranks of the genre you helped create, you know? And yeah. a lot of bands didn't have to do that, you know? But I think us being from Texas and not California – and or you know florida or whatever and and just not being in the click um you know it it worked against us some but you know now you know when kevin lyman wants somebody for something we're the first one he calls so uh that's that's a win oh yeah and your head can't get too big because you got your childhood buddies there gonna give you shit 100 percent. (laughs) well also you know i i've been um i've been very lucky in that you know i've always had a personal life, you know, outside of the band. So that like, I don't just come home, which by the way, I'm going to get a beer. Hold on. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, You know, I have always been such that, you know, my home life was very normal. So it's not like I would just come home and bask in the fact that like I got recognized at Starbucks or whatever, because (laughs) I had a stroller, you know, and I'm like, you know, I, I'm a dad. I've been I've been a dad since the day we got nominated for a Grammy. You know, literally it happened yeah. on the same day. My little girl was born and not so little anymore. And um, so being able to be in check um, is easy when you come home and you've got dishes to do, you know? And like the only thing, you know, everybody else is going to bars and shit. Like my only rec- rec- uh, recreation is like, Maybe I get to go play golf, you know, once in a while, whatever. But my problem is that I work, you know, like I, I get home and I'm, you know, I've been locked in the studio since March 19th, you know, and I, I literally got out today for the first time. We, we went to Top Golf. We took my seven year old to Top Golf. And uh, oh, I love Top Golf. They're open. Oh, oh yeah. Great. Yeah. And it's cool. They, they've got it figured out. And we went, we went and uh, I just looked at my wife and I was like, God, this is fucking weird. It's, it's 1245 and I'm not locked in my studio going, I need to eat, <laughs> you know, like it, it, it was good. It's a nice day, man. You know, one of my favorite movies from the early 2000s is Almost Famous. I'm not sure, maybe one of your favorites as well. But just, you know, seeing the band dynamics there of, you know, Stillwater and Billy Crudup's character, you know, as the guitarist. Was there ever pressure? Because it's amazing, I think, that the band had such a little turnover over 25 years. And I think it's really tough to do. What do you attribute that to in terms of the band just staying together all this time? Yeah, and really, to be fair, you know, I don't really count Lance and Gary, Lance leaving and Gary coming in as a turnover because it's not like mine and Lance's relationship changed. Like we had been best, we, you know, we were friends since we were five years old. Most of the time we were best friends growing up and we were, we're still, you know, we're, we're good. We're friends. He just didn't want to tour. So it, you know, it was really more of just like, it was less of a member change and more of just like a, Hey, you go do this, you know? Um, But yeah, we lasted 24 years. um, And then Eric, you know, um, it was time for him to go and do, do other things. And um, that was a, a mutual, you know, decision. And, and, and one of those things where, you know, it was like, man, we, we wish you luck and we're going to go keep doing this. Um, and so the reason we were able to do that is good communication, uh, commitment to what it is we're doing here. In other words, like we have this show on this date and, you know, your cousin decides she's going to get married. Like, 
I'm not going to argue with you about that. It's just, you're just not going like it's a thing and neither am I, you know, that's just not a thing. Now where we are in our lives right now. Sure. You can say, you know, like I don't miss dance recitals and shit like that. You know, I I don't, I I was, I was in Australia once on my son's birthday, but it wasn't my week. And so, um, you know, he still gives me shit about it, but I'm like, I wouldn't (laughs) have even seen you if I was here, but still, you know, he's a kid. Um, so yeah, I mean, and and again, knowing that that bowling for soup is the sum of our parts is such a such an interesting, uh, not an interesting. It's it's important, you know. Like I I'm not more important than anybody else. I, it doesn't matter, you know what what the roles I play are. And 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 honestly, and and this is the God's honest truth. That that now Rob is in that. I mean, he's been in band for a couple of years now, um, but like we don't fuck around like he's he's just as much a part of this shit as we are and 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 i you know that's decisions and and everything like he has a voice and um you know quite frankly that's been a nice thing not that we don't miss eric we love eric eric's our brother always will be but bringing a younger dude in who literally the day we asked him to be in the band, you, you, I literally got to watch a guy's dreams come true, like right in front of me. Like I, and then I was just like, okay, pick out two bases. I'm going to order you an acoustic guitar. And you know, here's the deal. Like tell your other job to go fuck themselves. You know, like, I mean, it was just like, he was just like, you know, like he walked in a dressing room and then he walked out going, I fucking made it. You know, he's got gold records on his walls now and shit, you know, like uh, it's crazy, but you know, that's just it. It's like, uh, you know, he, we treat each other nice, you know, if, if we're, you know, we get irritated with one another, but we know, you know, you, I, this, I'm, I fucking said this so many times over the year, but years, but you know, you know, when to push each other's buttons and you know, when somebody needs a break, you also know when somebody needs a hug or a friend or to be told to shut the fuck up, you know, and certain people can say that to certain people and they can't say it to others. You know what I mean? So like there's, there's just dynamics and you got to know those dynamics. And so you'll talk to some people certain ways you won't the other and, and vice versa. But yeah. in the camp, somebody can tell you to shut up, you know? And, yeah. And, I think that comes from, you know, years of working together yeah. and, and knowing each other on that kind of level to be able to create that type, type of culture really. And I think it really speaks to you and what the other you know members of the band have been able to do. We're better than the New England Patriots. We are. <laughs> our, our, our just, our communication and just ability to know what each other are thinking. If you've never seen Bowling for Soup live, ask anybody that has, and then ask them if they've seen us twice. And if it was remotely the same show and the answer will be no. And then they'll go, and they just fucking stop in the middle of a song and then they'll start playing something else. And then 30 minutes later, they go back in this and th- there's no rhyme or reason. And all, none of that is rehearsed. None of it. It's just all just instinct and, and you know, them like listening to me talk and like thinking yeah. about like what it is I'm saying. And, and there's no rehearsed cues. It's just literally just feeling the show, you know? Jared, you've been so generous with your time. I have one more question before you, before we get to our five rapid fire questions of the day. Right. And I would be remiss to have you on without asking a question about 1985. That's one of my favorite songs of all time. And I'm sure you get this all the time, yeah. but I think a lot of people don't know that it was a cover of an SR-71 song. So what was the story there? At least from my internet research, it seems like you heard the song, you asked the band to cover it, but you know, from your perspective, you know, where, how did that come about? Well, I'm going to tell you, but after this interview, I'm going to say, you got to go to my TikTok because I explain it in 60 seconds. Oh. But this is the actual story. Um, so it, it actually isn't a cover for this reason. 
uh, they did. You definitely changed the lyrics. Yes, they did it first, and they were basically dissolving. And Mitch was using some of their material to try and go and find new management, trying to figure out from a songwriter standpoint what his next move is, maybe maybe release some music or stuff. He's sending it around to people that he'd worked with before. And so Butch Walker's manager is Jonathan Daniel from Crush Management, who Crush is like, they manage everybody who's huge now. Um, And he's the sweetest, kindest man. And just to this day, like you send him an email and he personally writes you right back. Like it's, it's just the way that shit should be. It, Kevin Lyman's the same way. Like, it's just, it's just like, it's how I want to be in my life, you know? And anyway, he sent him this group of songs and JD listened and he called it back and he just said, dude, this 1985 song is a great song, but it's not, not an SR 71 song. That's a Bowling for Soup song. And Mitch was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, Butch is in the studio with him right now. Um, they're finishing up an album coming off of Girl the Bad Guys Want and Punk Rock 101 as two, you know, legitimate hits. What do you think? And so, yeah, he called me and sent it to me. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'm the first to admit I can't hear hits. I, I just don't. Like, I, I like, you know, I'm like the guy that, like, I wrote Emily and I'm like, this is going to be the biggest fucking song in the history of the world. You know, like, and so with this record, I was already like, almost is the greatest song ever. Almost is going to be our biggest hit. And it was a hit. It was a big Uh, hit. It was a big hit. Top five on adult radio, but it's going to be a big hit. And, but so, but so I'm like, I don't know that we need this. And so me and Gary were up drinking uh, in our apartment that we had for that month while we were doing the record. And uh, I go, okay, here's the deal. And he goes, it's pretty damn good. And I'm like, yeah, it is pretty good. But I'm just like, it just doesn't, like, lyrically, it doesn't sound, it's aggressive. Bowling for Soup is it, it, in certain situations, in certain things where it deals with, like, sexual things like that. And, like, we're just not aggressive. And um, so, you know, I wouldn't have said like never knew that George was gay and called George, you know, him out for being gay. And I wouldn't have said the rubber broke and things like that. Um, but they would, that's their shit. You know what I mean? So that's again, is it's it's, long story short, Mitch and I already knew each other. I was like, dude, I want to have my way with it. What do you think? And so, yeah, I own 20% of the song, uh, for, you know, doing what, what we did to it. And, um, so, you know, we're actually all expecting uh, double platinum single records, actually, right now. We're, uh, we, just, um, we just went double platinum there and, and gold in, in the UK for, for, a, for a single. And, you know, he still credits us for his amazing career as a songwriter. And, uh, you know, uh, because after that hit, he was able to start writing with a bunch of bunch of people and has done really, really great. So, but yeah, I mean, it's their version is out there now. What I didn't finish saying was, is they had, they had released it in Japan because they were doing well in Japan. And so in, in, uh, in 2004, when we're recording this thing, okay, you released it in Japan. It's not like anybody over here is ever going to hear that, you know, cause there's no digital shit, you know? So <laughs> it really wasn't even a thought. So, this whole thing really has only just become a question over the last, you know, four or five years, which it's not something that we hide behind. And if you even go back to me talking about the origination of the song, like it's always been the same story. Um, so I think some people see that and they think of it as a negative. Oh, you know, that's not even your song or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, the, the way that music business works is 
very few people actually write their own hits. You know, it, 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 there's a lot of shit that's been done before, or there's somebody else that's in oh, there yeah. and, you know, yada, yada. So, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing that, um, that we were able to do this. And it's not like we took something from them, you know, they, they, yeah. they did fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask if, you know, Mitch was salty at all, but he can't be salty based on the career he has and have a percentage of the song. He must be just thrilled that you guys, you know, really took it and ran with it. He still has the Land Rover that he bought from that first check and he's to, to uh, we i actually was just with him uh about well god covid's got my timing all fucked up but it was just late last year and uh i took a girl that i managed to do some riding with him and he and he still to this day like see that car jared bought me that car right there i'll never forget it you know and he lives down the street from jared leto now for christ's sake you know he's doing oh my fine. god uh jared thank you so much for your time like i said i wanted to end on five rapid fire questions if you're ready okay let's do it any tv shows you're currently binging right now uh oh um uh shit uh it's uh hold on i'm gonna think of it in a second it's um (laughs) okay dating on the spectrum i'll go with that oh yeah oh yeah the netflix series yeah i'm actually watching the one about uh indian arranged marriages but i could oh yeah indian matchmaking indian match- oh, yeah. <laughs> okay yeah that's the one that we're watching right this minute so put that one uh any artists that you have on repeat right now that you're listening to uh, any artists that i have on repeat right now um well it's always frank turner isn't it it's willie nelson actually i've been listening to willie nelson for two weeks actually so willie nelson right now uh favorite venue to perform at manchester academy uh, I feel like, you know, your sound and the punk pop sound was so original. Bands like Good Charlotte, Fountains of Wayne. We don't really have that anymore today. Is there any band that you're looking at in the landscape currently that's kind of mimicking or trying to, you know, do what you did? They're all over the place. You know, I mean, you've got All Time Low and bands like that who have been super successful with it as of late. You know, not that they're not that they haven't been around, but I mean, they, they, they definitely took the torch from the rest of us. There is a band called Don't Panic that is amazing it just happens to be rob's brother's band but still i mean just i absolutely love their songs so um go and check those guys out and then i like stand atlantic a lot um and uh who else is new that i mean those are two really good ones if you're really looking to to listen to some shit um that stand atlantic band is something else man uh last one here i know you host the podcast all about movies so i have to ask you What's the last great movie you have seen? Uh, Troop Zero. I uh, there's a I think it's Amazon original, Troop Zero. Jim Gaffigan plays this uh, like just sort of like, you know, trailer park lawyer dad, uh, and the acting is just phenomenal in it. And I'm not a fan of Jim Gaffigan's comedy. Like I I mean I thought Hot Pocket was funny and shit, but like. now i don't really i'm not and i i feel bad that i always do this as a disclaimer because i don't want people but i the thing is is i don't want people to go oh i don't think jim gaffigan's funny because i actually don't either but he is so good in this like i think you're gonna start to see this guy branch out of it and like really become a, Hmm. a really special actor i really do but the little girl who is in that show is like you just know she's going to be whatever the next big, big star is. I mean, it's, there's just no way she can't be. It's fucking phenomenal. So Troop Zero, very, very, very good movie. 
Oh yeah. I'll have to check it out. Jarrett, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for coming on the Relunchables podcast. I appreciate it, man. No, man. Thank you for having me, dude. I would like to thank my guest, Jarrett Reddick, for coming on the podcast. You can find him on Instagram. He's Jared2113 and Bowling for Soup, their BFS official. Stay tuned next week for our interview with Melissa Clark, the creator and showrunner of one of my favorite animated shows as a kid, Braceface, which featured voices from a young Michael Sarah and Alicia Silverstone from Clueless. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.